like they're doing time. surgery, they'd have like police <laughs> by by law have to show up at the screen and put it up around <laughs> the scene. They really should. That would for both sides of threat, of course. Yeah. Yes. I I invent, like when I was in traffic engineering in in school, I I invented the the don't I don't care lane. It didn't really go anywhere, but I invented the I don't care lane for the people who just really don't want to see what's going on. I just want to keep going and get there. Yeah, I'm all for the. Um, silly putty spray can that you, you know, about a half a mile before the accident, they just put this thing up, like when you're going through the car wash, there's a pole that sprays, and it just sprays silly putty on your side of the car, so you can't see out that side, the next time it rains, it'll all just come off, but you can't see, so there's no rubbernecking. Okay. Rubbernecking. Bottlenecking, rubbernecking. Yeah. Okay, this is talking about hollows and cavities. Okay, here we go. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who set us apart in order to sanctify us with his commandments and instructed us to occupy ourselves with the words of the Torah. Adonai, our God, please make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouths and in the mouths of your people, the family of Israel, so that we, our offspring, and the descendants of your people, the family of Israel, all of us, may be knowers of your name and learners of your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations of the world to give us his Torah. Blessed you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. All right. I am thrilled that Johnny is back. And I will, uh, uh, instead of taking two hours to go through this material, do it in one hour. So, turn on that thinking cap and let's do this. This was intended to be a two-fold lesson. First part, little review, especially for you new like Pete. And then the uh, second part was intended to be confrontational, thought-provoking, <laughs> your favorite, right? right. And, uh, and we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how we do. Kind of kosher, some funky food facts. Um, have you got any mammals that both chew the cud and have cloven hooves? She's uh, trying to buy some, some meat there. So, We've got the, uh, the kosher quiz, okay? So I just want to get you started for, again, for the noobs. Chris, you can, you can be honest. Do you keep kosher? No. Okay. Um, you're a noob. You keep kosher? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, you keep kosher? I do. I'm one of the noobs. You're a noob and you keep kosher? Okay. So this is not to put anybody on the spot. This is let's talk about it and find out should Chris keep kosher? Now, by the whole end of the class, I hope the question is not, should keep Chris keep kosher? Wow, that's unbelievable. What do you mean by kosher? But what do you mean by kosher? According to his standards. Exactly right. So, let's see what we've got. Um, kosher is best defined as, help me, permitted. Give me one word. Acceptable is good. It's a little long. Clean is good. I'm looking for the definition of the word kosher is best. Food. It's not food. Sanctified. It's not sanctified. The word means fit. Fit. Okay? It is fit for food. It is fit for eating and so forth. Right? So, then the follow-up, the opposite of kosher is? <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah, the opposite of kosher is 
Give me something in Yiddish. Treif. Treif, right? Okay. So that's from Trefa. But really, what is it? The opposite, biblically, is Sheketz, which means detestable. Now catch that. When we're talking about food, only when we're talking about food, the opposite of kosher or fit for consumption is that which is detestable. Shechetz. All right? Shechetz. All right. Kosher law. Oh, yes, sir. I was just going to add that that is actually a commandment. It says, and it shall be detestable to you. Well, that's exactly Which is why shechetz is the opposite of kosher. You're exactly right. That's right. And it should be. So, you know, do you like shrimp? Yeah, I love shrimp, but I don't eat it because we're not supposed to eat it. Wrong mindset, right? Wrong mindset. Over time, your obedience will bring you to uh, a heart change. Kosher law is found in what two passages? Number one, and the biggie, is Leviticus 11. And Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 16 has... Pilgrimage fees, that's exactly right. All right. Does kosher only apply to food? Here's a guy kissing another guy. Right out of your mouth comes, that ain't kosher, that's shaket. That's exactly right. It's detestable. All right. Suppose uh, around uh, the end of the year, right? We're all starting to build our Sukkot. And Ken comes over and goes, well, that Sukkot's not kosher. Why not? Because you can't see the stars. Or it's got three stories. Or the door, or whatever it may be. But that's it. Kosher can, can be talking about um, suk- uh, your Sukkah. It could be talking about your Hanukkah at Pesach. Right? Well, you know, uh, not Pesach, uh, Hanukkah. You know, it's, it's just not kosher. Well, it's, it's not fit. Good. And last, can you express a relationship between kosher and Shabbat? They both separate. They both separate what, sir? Separate us from the rest of the world. Exactly correct. They are designed by God for His people to be distinct or different from the nations. So you keep the Sabbath, you're already in a smaller class. If you keep kosher, same deal. I don't see a difference in the scriptures between keeping the Sabbath and keeping kosher. The question just is, what's keeping kosher? Okay, so kosher for dummies. Um, For those paying attention, that would be the uh, no swine rule. Okay, so I want to do... Somebody says, kosher, kosher, what are we talking about? I need it in small syllables. I need it as light as can go. What's the first thing you tell them? If you want to keep kosher, then you can eat. Okay, so, so let's talk about first the food groups, okay? So we got the first one would be the animals, right? And the animals, I mean, it's got to divide the hoof and it's got to chew the cut. If it doesn't do both, you're out. Therefore, camel may be a delicacy someplace, but not here. What's wrong with the rabbit? It's got a cloven hoof. 
It chews the cud, but it doesn't have a cloven hoof. It's got like a paw, right? And uh, horse, horse doesn't have a cloven hoof, does it? Horse is a loser all the way around. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't eat those guys. All right. So that's animals, right? What's the second group? Buffalo, medicine, deer. Right? Llama? Llama is not. Llama is not. And two-headed llama? Still out. Thank you, Dr. Doolittle. What do we have after animals? The seafood stuff. Sure, right? And the seafood's got very clean, just like the animal stuff. It's very easy. It's got to have fins and scales. Eels don't work, yeah. You know, those little suckers in the, in the fish tank and all of that, really. Yeah. No crustacean. No, nothing with crawls. Okay. How's crab work? It doesn't. How's lobster work? What do we realize now, just after these first two categories, with regard to the restaurants that we have in our town or in the world, and what the world believes to be delicacies. The more the world sees it as a delicacy, the more the word of God and our God is vehemently against it. Even if it's not actually physically present in the food, it might the broth or you know, they add baking this to everything with Sure. Sure. That's why some wine, wine you'd think doesn't fall into this kind of category. It's a grape. How can you mess up a grape? The question is, how do they get the wine in the bottle? Mm. So you can go over the top. For the seafood, you have fins and scales. Most of the things that don't have fins and scales, what I can remember, are a lot of them are bottom feeders. That's exactly right. There are certain ones that are not, um, like swordfish. Swordfish is not kosher. But That's smooth, right? It's got no... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's got yeah. bottom feeders. So, like what, I know certain... Yeah, but, but you can't, you can't really... Think about that. That's that's why what we try to do. Mm-hmm. But flounder mm-hmm. is kosher, and flounder sits on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So, so so the bottom line is you can. It's, you can't do it that way. You yeah. really just have to stick with what the word does. Yeah, and I think our tendency to want to do it that way to say, oh, it's bottom feeders. You can't eat the bottom feeders. The reason why we want to do that is because we are pulled by the world to think that kosher is healthy. I personally think that kosher is healthy. If you think about it, it has to be. But that's not why we eat this or that. We're not the ones making the rules. Mother's milk will give you cancer, according to the world, today. Last year, mother's milk was the greatest thing since, well, mother's milk. So um, you can't really go by what they say. So what's the next category after we've got the animals and the seafood? The birds. The birds, yeah. So here's another thing, right? The birds... You can't eat the scavenger birds. But that's not how the word puts it. What does it say? You can eat any... Except. You can eat any clean birds. Except this group is definitely a no-no. Eagles, protected species. Well, but that's the thing. With respect to birds, because unlike land animals and... and The water folk. The water uh, animals, where it gives some criteria... There is no criteria for birds. Clean. It just gives a list of ones that you cannot eat. But before that, it says, you may eat clean birds. But we have no definition of what a clean bird is. All we have is a list. We have the list of the no-nos. 
but, but I add, the list of the unknowns varies in various translations. In the art scroll, it just gives you the transliterated Hebrew word because it's not sure. They're not sure. Exactly right. So the bottom line, stick with those that we know. That helps, though, knowing that it's clean, that they have to be clean birds, because it's almost like you can eat the birds that eat kosher. It's the ones that eat meat and weird stuff like that, scavenger birds. Those would be the ones that you can't eat in addition to the list, but... That is kind of a helpful... Yeah, to, to, to try and look and see, well, does this bird keep kosher? Well, I can eat that guy. I mean, that sort of does work. But it would be good to know the list of those we cannot eat, and it would be good to watch out. But, but what's interesting is the only, the only reason we know, for example, that chicken or turkey or duck is permitted is... Is solely because, I mean, this is a court of Orthodox Judaism. The only reason we know it's permitted is because we have a tradition that goes back for a couple thousand years now that says... We, we can eat chicken and we can eat turkey. That's exactly so right. The, the rule in Orthodox Judaism when it comes to fowl is if there is a tradition that it is permitted, then it is permitted. Exactly. If there's no tradition, then you cannot eat it. You have to assume that it is not Exactly right. And uh, on that same point, just quickly, Karaites do not believe that chicken is clean. And, and it, I find it kind of funny that uh, if, if you talk to some Karaites today, that they, people that would ascribe to that mindset, they believe chicken because they're kind of ignorant of that um, Karaitic traditions. But they kind of, in Orthodox mindset, chicken is traditionally clean and is used for lo- lots of things. Absolutely. But Karaites don't. And, and you know my rule. That's exactly right. My rule is, if the Karaites won't do something, I, I'm free to do it. You know, basically. Okay. So, let's uh, let's oops, let's go ahead and uh, and review very quickly for Ken, who gets stuck in traffic. What does kosher mean? And what is the opposite of kosher? Good. And. If we look at what we can eat, it does not just uh, apply to food necessarily, but tonight we're going to be talking about food and that which is fit to eat. The problem is that we don't have a word for the non-food. For example, would you eat stainless steel filings? Probably not. How about broken glass? Probably not. These don't fit into your food category. Well, what is that category? What do you call it? Non-food? I'm going to go to the grocery store and get some non-food. That, it just doesn't work. Where do you go for non-food? Why would they have non-food in the grocery store? See what I mean? It just doesn't work. So that's the problem. You can't look at something and say, that's not food to the normal human being, especially an American. They, they just don't get it. Here's a bacon cheeseburger. That's not food. And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, if it were broken glass, sitting on cow dung, you know, drenched in monkey urine, covered with iron filings, would you eat that? No. But you you just can't go there. So, all right. So here's, here's what we're looking at, right? So we want to try and, and identify what is food for us. And the bottom line comes down to, guy, that's right, in China, right? And, and who knows what they'd have underneath that? So 
So the bottom line comes down to who's in charge of your life? Do you determine what's right and wrong? Do you determine what you determine what is food? Are you supposed to take care of what comes out of your mouth? Who thinks you should take care of what comes out of your mouth? Every 100%? Okay. Who thinks God cares about what goes into your mouth? Almost 100%. Okay. So if I said God cares what you eat, what would be your absolute top shelf number one example? Garden. The garden of Eden. How many rules did they have? One. What type of rule was it? It was a kosher rule. All of the trees are kosher, but this one, this isn't kosher. And they blew it. What kind of mess are we in now? Right now, the world groans. The whole creation groans under the curse caused by man failing to heed God's command regarding food. Now, you may be a dispensationalist and say, well, that was then, this is now. Okay, okay. I think we can get you over time. Food groups was the first. I think we've got one more food group, and that would be the insects. Now, a lot of folks think that I've got this funky, but this is the easiest way for me to deal with it. You can eat the insect if he's got knees. It's as simple as that. It's got to be able to jump. It talks specifically about a joint above the bottom of the leg. He's got to have knees. If this bad boy can jump, you can eat him. Locusts, we're good. Why? He's got knees. No knees, won't work. Got paws, doesn't cut it. Insects with paws are really, really bad creatures. Okay? Yes, sir? I thought it was more if the teeming things that crawl. The teeming things that crawl are fine, provided they can jump. They've got to have knees. Frog legs are not because frog legs are not, they're not insects. They fall into category here, smooth. No scales, frogs are done. Question? Good. Okay. So these are the food groups. There's only one more stipulation with regard to food when we're talking about kosher. Who can tell me what it is? Actually, no, that doesn't tell me what I can eat it. It tells me how I can eat it. Carcass. Ah, absolutely. It's got to be killed. Kill and eat. I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. Isaac is a pretty bold-looking guy. Goes out hunting. He doesn't need the gun. Steps out into the open. <laughs> the deer sees him and goes, <gasps> boom, and falls over. That's a scary guy. Has a heart attack right there. That deer is not going home. Well, where is that deer going? To the Gentile. He can go to the Gentile. By the way, this is the only place where Gare appears in a place that we don't expect it. I'm not going into that tonight, but you would think it would say you can give it to the Goy. Or you can give it to, uh, was it Nakir? Nokri, the uh, foreigner who, uh, who lives with you, you know, that kind of thing. This one says Gare. I, this is amazingly out of place to me. But be that as it may, it's not that it's no longer food. It's no longer food for us. Which brings us to a very salient point. 
has nothing to do with health. It has to do with God. It's strictly Him. You can eat this animal, but if you didn't kill it, you can't eat it. It's clean. It's a kosher animal. But the way it died makes it unfit, unkosher, trafe for you. Okay? Questions on that? Should be pretty simple. So, you go into a, uh, you go into a restaurant. It's one of these high-scale jobs, you know? And they don't use English. They want to throw in the French, the Italian, and all this weird stuff on the menu to make it seem more upscale so they can uh, charge you more money. And uh, they've got this fish you've never heard of. What do you do? You have two choices. You have two choices. Number one is definitely Google whether or not it's kosher. Trust me, the Jewish community's got you covered. They'll tell you right away whether it's good to go or not. Just make sure you know your kosher sites because you, you may end up at a site that's not kosher. Okay? What's the second way? That's exactly what it is. If you don't know if it's fit, it's not. It's as simple as that, guys. Okay. Are we okay? Is everybody moving with me? Am I going too slow? No. Okay. What are these? Hectures. Uh, that's great. That's great. Nobody in the world knows what a hexure is. What is that? Certification. Yeah, there are agencies that ha- that certify that something is kosher, and these are their seals, which they put on the product, so that you can know by looking at the package and not having to get your glasses out and read the fine print. So let's look at the kosher climate. So I'd like you to uh, help me to understand where we where we sit here. Um, so I'm looking for a resounding yes or no. Eating kosher is optional. No. Hmm. Chris, you believe that? Don't tell me we changed your mind already. All right. I say no, I don't believe that. Okay. I don't believe that. I believe it is optional. Eating kosher is optional. Yes. Thank you. Eating kosher is optional. Eating kosher is commanded. Yes. Okay. Eating kosher is for the spiritually mighty. No. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Eating kosher is strictly what the Bible lists, also known as biblical kosher. I got a no in the cheap seats. How about you guys in the soft seats? But you said strictly. Strictly. Well, no. No. Eating kosher strictly with the Bible says no. Don't give me this wishy washy. Come on, don't do that. Uh, what 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 church was it? Laodicea, right? So yes, yes, no, yes. Strictly with the Bible. We just went through it on the previous slide. No. No. I mean, yes. I'm sorry, yes. Yes. So we're yes, and we're no, and no. I'm still trying to wrap my around the, the question. Yeah. So the Bible says I can't eat this fish because it doesn't have scales. But rabbinic Judaism, the next one, eating kosher according to the Talmud is optional also known as rabbinic kosher. 
So they would say, well, you can't eat that because you just ate this. Or you can't eat that because it looks like something that, that kind of thing. So how many think this last one here, eating kosher according to the Talmud is optional? Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm with you, Ken, and I'm glad you brought that up. And we're not going to get to it tonight. But next week, I won't give up till you tell me that that last one's wrong. How about that? Ken's not coming next week. Can you tell? Okay. All right. <laughs> Oh, I beg your pardon, yes. Because having actually currently going through some rabbinic uh, uh, perspectives on kashrut, my current view is that uh, that as is often the case with rabbinic Judaism, they have lots of fences, some of which I, I totally believe would be optional. However, there may be some however, there. I mean, we just talked about an example with, with birds. We cannot, from the text of the Bible, we cannot know definitively what is clean. The only reason we know that is because Judaism has a tradition of what birds are clean. Because they came up so, with it. So, uh, so don't, don't give it all away now. I I'm with you, my friend. By, by default, if it's not on the black, whether or not we have a tradition. Okay. What is the black thing? The, the blacklists are the birds that are not permitted. Yeah, but here's the thing: we don't birds. really, we don't really know exactly know what, what those birds that are prohibited are. By the way, it's not a genus; it's not a species. Well, at I think it's genus, but. I think at the break we're having hoopo. I don't know if you're into that or not, but uh, we'll be growing that up on the side. All right, let's move on. I, I understand where you guys are coming. Just hang with me. This is, the, this is the light fair of the class. Come on. All right. I want to see if you're a kosher kind of guy. Now, I'm thinking, and I love you to death and you know that. I'm, I'm picking on Chris, and I'm going to stand with Chris, and you guys are going to argue against Chris and I. And we'll see how you guys do. So, are you a kosher kind of guy? By the way, this is Luxon McKiggle. That's great that they're doing at uh, McDonald's. Uh, that's actually a true uh, sign, by the way. Okay. So, I want you. I want you to write down or make a note of your number. I want your kosher quotient. I want you to write it down because we're going to be talking about it next week. So, eating kosher. Number one is crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. Are you a number one? No. Well, some would say. Some would say, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, Chris is the only one that had the chutzpah to actually stand up and say that he's not keeping kosher. God bless him. Amen? Amen. And do you love him because of it? Amen. Absolutely. Eating kosher is number two optional. Yes. That's where Chris is. Where are you, Ken? He's the number two. We've got two twos. Outstanding. Anybody else optional? Okay. So, I think when we get to number three, we should have a really cool argument on our hands. Stand by. Eating kosher is three. 
easy. No. How many say easy? I got four people. Oh, is this cute? Wait a minute. Do you keep kosher? No, I don't think that you can, uh, I don't think you can vote on this one, but I would take your vote. Is this, are we allowed to pick more than one, or is this? No, you got to pick, you got to pick one. I need your kosher quotient. I think Ken can say if, if you want, if, if, if that's your passion, it can, it can come easy. Well, have you ever done... I question whether or not you have the experience to be able to say that keeping kosher is easy. But... If you want to choose that one, I'll let you do it, Ken. I just question you. It sounds to me like you're more on number two than number three. Okay. But, but it's interesting that if you were to keep kosher, you would evidently think it'd be easy. See, we just didn't know if these were checkboxes or radio buttons. They are the radio buttons. Finally, eating kosher is just the beginning. Okay, yeah. That's, that's, that's where I am. That's where I am. Notice, nowhere here does it say that eating kosher is a command. That's a fact. Well, it's a fact on your end of the couch, but on his end of the couch, it's not, right? All right, so I just, uh, I want to I try and get us out of the kosher closet, okay? So, I, I had a blast. Um, I, th- I think really, when we first come into keeping the Torah, I would say that our mindset is that anything goes, but now i got the book that says what gives God woes. I can do anything unless I find it written here, then I can't. God limits me for my good and His glory. Amen? And one of the ways that He limits me is certainly to say, you can work six days like I did. But on the seventh day, you must cease your labor and you must rest. Why? It brings me glory, it makes you emulate me, and it sets you apart. Good? Sounds good. Right, and because I said so, which is always a good thing when God says. All right, so we start out as almost an anything goes thing, but we realize that there are some rules. I think the next step in our walk is that we look at food and non-food. I mean, Sabbath festivals, whatever it may be, seems to be the start of keeping the Torah. And then we, we, we are naturally drawn to, well, gosh, it says I shouldn't work. I don't work. It says I shouldn't eat that. So now I would ask you your very best argument. Jonathan, absolutely top shelf This guy here thinks it's optional to keep kosher. I want you to give him one distinct argument that's just absolutely over the top. There's no question you need to keep kosher because... If it's good enough for Yeshua, it's good enough for me. Okay, he pulled the Yeshua card out first. Normally I save that as my wild card on the back end. Okay. So... So he pulled a Yeshua card. So how do you know that the, the Messiah of the world actually kept kosher? Because if he didn't, he is not the Messiah. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, 
this sounds a little bit like circular reasoning to me. I say, prove that it's a command. You say, he did it. How do you know he did it? Because if he didn't, he broke the command. Uh, 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 uh. I, think, I, think, I, I think he bolo there. How do you know? He was never dinged for not doing it. Okay, argument from silence. Doesn't work. All right, anything else? Come on, come on. How do we know that he kept kosher? How do we know? Oh, now that one I like. We have a description of the proshim, the Pharisees. And they're the hoity-toity boy, let me tell you. They are sticklers about keeping the commandments. And they were known historically for never eating with the Amha'aretz. The people of the land. They would never do it. Why? Whoa, these guys don't eat right. They're contaminated with who knows what. They've been in the marketplace. They wouldn't even let them in the house. Yeshua ate with Pharisees a lot and they invited him into their house. There's no way they would do that unless he kept kosher. I don't think it's an argument from silence. I think it's a strong. Unless he kept their halakha. Okay? So I think that's a good argument. So you pull the Yeshua card quick. Peter. This guy thinks that keeping kosher is strictly optional. Give it your best shot. I can't use this argument. You're going to pull the Yeshua card? No, you can't. I mean, that's a good argument. You think? Okay, so, so what are you going to tell Shlomo here in two before the common era? Okay, so... so oh, now he's going to ask questions? You can't. problem with God God commanded it. Okay, so so let me see if I get this. Do you think he commanded it? Yeah. Okay, so he pulls the Yeshua card, but you're ready to jump in there with the text, right? The text. Yeah. God says, "Don't eat this." That's good enough for you. So it's not a it's not a time based thing. Time based. Don't eat this now. Don't eat this because we don't know how to pasteurize milk. Don't don't do this because we don't have botulism standards. I, I can't take the chance that it, that it is a time-based commandment. Are there any time-based commandments? Okay, well, we'll come back to that. I don't know. Okay, so... I just assume none of God them. said it. That's that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, God said it. I do believe it. Okay. Say it, I did it. Yeah, okay. Can I make an argument? Absolutely. Go, go, go. How about... How about... From the text, after he lists the specific prohibitions in Leviticus 11, if I'm not mistaken, towards the end of that dissertation, he says, therefore be holy as I am holy. So, one argument could be that God said doing this is a way to to be holy. You like that one. So, I don't think it's necessary, but maybe maybe we'll talk to someone else. You don't think what's necessary? His argument? Yeah. He's got a third argument. Right. He pulls the Yeshua card. You got the commandment. He's got the holiness argument. Yours? I, what I'd like to do is ask the question. Well, what do you, think? you can't make an argument? you got to ask a question. Well, what do you think Be a rabbi. Go ahead. What do you think is sin? And if somebody says, well, it's anything contrary to Scripture, or if you do something that wrong, well, if you do the opposite of what God says, then that defines sin. So therefore, it's like, well, then not eating kosher would be a sin. Okay. Why I eat kosher. 
Okay, so let me see if I get you here. Because I have to argue for these men. So, let me see if I get you. You say that God says, I can't eat shrimp. Is that correct? But God says, if I eat shrimp, I'm unclean till sundown. Does it sound like that's a sin? Does it say it's a sin? It says, unclean. Would you agree that Yeshua was at some point or points in his life unclean? So, the fact that I've become unclean is not a sin. You can become unclean by sinning, and you can also become unclean by doing something that causes you to become unclean. That was good, because you broke the non-sequitur that I made. That's good. That's good. Well, and importantly, he does say that it shall be detestable to you. Um, I was I was feeling really bad eating the jumbo shrimp cocktail. I, I was feeling very... It was detestable to me. It, it was dete- I, I can barely stand it. I ordered a second one, but I could barely stand it. Words that actually. Okay, let me see if I got these arguments down. The master did it. We're following his example. It's a commandment. The Pharisees ate with him, and therefore there's a halachic example. And holiness, thank you is commanded in following God as well. And now I'm hearing that the definition of sin is to break his Torah, and the Torah says that I should not eat this. And he says in verse 44, For I'm Lord your God, consecrate yourselves, therefore and be holy, for I'm holy. That was the argument I make. In the next sentence, and you shall not make yourselves unclean. Yeah. With any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. Okay, so an argument for silence on the pork, but when you're doing the, the grasshopper pie. Swarming act, that's, that's all inclusive. That's all inclusive. With Noah's Ark, he means everything. Oh. Even though he says specifically, you should not make yourself unclean with these swarming things, we're bringing it all the way back, three paragraphs back to the swine as well, and the shrimp. That's great. Isaiah 66, 17. Now, so we're out of the Torah now, and now we're in the, in the Nevi'im. Okay. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. And he's right in the middle of... Yeah, yeah. All right, so... All right, so pig's flesh and mice are definitely out. And, you know, this mice thing you've got has got to go. You know what I'm saying, Ken? I know, I know, it's tough. It's a tough thing. Um, First one. (laughs) Oh, I can't remember the first, but I do remember, I think it's in Deuteronomy, that it says, do not take away or add to any of the word of God. Where is that? Ryan, do you remember? It is in Revelation. In the last chapter, that'd be 22. And it is in Deuteronomy uh, 4. And it is in 
Deuteronomy 12. If I could end. Well, you're not going to add to the word, right? You're going to add to his comment. Okay, good. I was just a little concerned. Because, yeah, that, that is about the swarming thing. Yes, it was. verse in chapter 11 says um, to make distinguish, dis- distinctions between what can be eaten and what cannot be eaten. Good. Which is not a matter of clean or unclean, but actually what we can eat and what we can't eat. Exactly right. So, it is what is fit and what is unfit. It is what is kosher versus what is trafe. Okay. I'm not going to put you guys on the spot. Think about that. I think they're pretty good arguments. So, for those of us who walked into this uh, thing, and, and you guys haven't been coming to a Torah submissive thing, so this may be the first time you're hearing this. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just want you to think about it. I mean, that's why I'm here. So, first, anything goes, and we find out actually God's got rules. He's got some fences in order to bring himself glory and to set us apart and sanctify us. His job is to make us holy. He is sanctifying us with his commandments. But we are commanded in several places to work with him in order that we might sanctify ourselves along with him. So food and non-food comes to mind in uh, in that scenario as well. And then we have... uh, the next step is normally the, the whole clean and unclean thing. Not just with food, but with individually. I need to be careful what I'm, what I'm touching. I need to be careful in my day-to-day life with the relationship I have with my wife and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, we, we ratchet it up uh, just a little bit. And then, uh, and then finally, if we're talking about food, we get to the dreaded S word. And we get to the point where we no longer ask somebody, do you keep kosher? No, no, no. We don't care anymore. Because they must be keeping kosher. Now, since they're rubbing shoulders with us every week, the question now is not, do you keep kosher? Well, do you separate? Ah. So, now the big question is, for next week, is there a difference? Or when I ask you if you keep kosher, does it imply that you separate? And therefore, if you don't separate, you don't keep kosher. Ah, that's that's heavy. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. So after we get to the dreaded S word, we realize we should just have dessert first. I mean, that's really got to be the bottom line to life in general, right? That's it. So you come out of the kosher closet and you realize you are so different from the world and going to most restaurants just isn't going to cut it anymore because as Ken was pointing out it may be just chicken nuggets the question is how did they make the nuggets how did they make the breading where did they get the breading what oh yeah in which they fried it. We go on and on and on. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Always, uh, always an important thing. So I've got some kosher questions. Kosher questions for you. First, can you name one mitzvah that is tied? Command. Thank you. That is tied. To an historical time period. It does. Are there commands that were specifically for only here on the mountain, or 
commands that were only for during the monarchy or commands that were only during uh, the age of uh, this uh, exilic time or uh, the age of the men of the great assembly or only during... The... Can, can you think of some? Give me some. Uh, the inauguration of the tabernacle and God speaks to Moses and says, you know, uh, wave all the priests before me or something like that. Okay. Where it's, that, that commandment was given to... Yeah, but that wasn't. I wouldn't say that was a commandment, right? So I'm going to make that that short distinction. Otherwise, right? I am. I'm talking about the commandments, the six thirteen, right? So where we've got um, a command to Samuel to go anoint Saul. <laughs> I'm obviously not talking about something like that, or to Moses to physically wave the the Levites, which is really a comical thing if you can think about it. But that's exactly what it says. Okay. Anything? Yes, sir. I don't, I don't think there can be. Why do you say that? Because I think the same. Um, I would say because the, the Torah is directly linked to Hashem. And, and that the Torah, the Messiah is the Torah, and Messiah is also God. And I just don't think that there can be something that changes. So the Torah is Right. So, so the Torah, I mean, what would the sages say that the Torah was before creation, right? They, that Messiah was the agent of creation, that the Torah is the, the, the wisdom of God. It is, it's his revealed character. Well, if we believe that God is, is unchanging, then the Torah should be unchanging, regardless of what the people around us say, regardless of what the culture says. So can you think of anything that in our mindset would be strictly for a period of time, but we don't do that anymore? You see, if you say yes, then you fall more into professional Christendom, which says, well, that was then and this is now. That was before the cross. This is after the cross. That was for the Jews. This is for the Gentiles. That was uh, Jesus, but this is Paul. You know, whatever it may be. Exactly. And doesn't that happen? What's the biggest argument for not keeping the Sabbath in professional Christendom? It changed. It changed from Saturday to Sunday. It changed from the seventh day to the first day of the week. How do we know? And they'll give you four or five reasons. Well, the master rose on the first day of the week. And they congregated. And they congregated on the first day of the week. And for three consecutive Sundays. For three, yeah. You know, on, uh, on Sunday. Big, big Sunday. Yeah. Took offerings on the first day of the week. Yeah. So, can you name one mitzvah? Tied to an historical time period. No. Okay. And I'm not trying to badger you into it. If you can, let me know. Can you name one mitzvah that is a cultural anomaly? The ones that come to my mind when I think about this is shaving, cutting your forehead for the dead, and stuff like that. But even if you can point back and say, oh, well, there was a cult that was going on at this period of time, and they were given this command to avoid that. <laughs> Does that mean that once the cult dies out, we can go ahead and do it again? Oh, by what reasoning would you say? Well, and that, that example that you just gave is the most common reason why people argue against 
separating meat and dairy because they they heard somewhere that the commandment that's in the Torah three times not to boil a kid in its mother's milk was because there was some Canaanite ritual or some Canaanite you know pagan rite where they did this right. and God said don't do that because I don't want you to be like them. But that but that's that's there's no evidence that at, at, at all. And, and where that comes from is actually a comment from Rambam, who is a sage. Uh, but even in his own commentary, he says, I'm speculating here. But even, even if he was. Evidence, I don't think that's reason not to do it. Just because you can't find that cult today in your town. Right. It just doesn't, it just doesn't seem to work. All right. One more kosher question. Can you name one mitzvah that we are supposed to understand before we obey? All of them. And we have to understand all the mitzvah before we do anything. Right. So, what, what's, what's, what's the deer? You hear, you obey. Do this. Why? Because I said so. But I'm not now. Great. Then the Spirit should tell you, obey, and then learn. I think it's best demonstrated as well with the commandment to teach our children. Because it's like, obviously, they're not going to understand the reasoning why God said this. Are you teaching them a different Torah while they're that small? Right. It's Same Torah. Teach it to them. Exactly. That's a loaded question statement because it's yeah. kind of paradoxical. How do you figure? Well, because, uh, I mean, that's from that question we really get the whole realm of halakha, you know. In other words, how... It doesn't say anything about how. It doesn't say anything about how. Let me make sure before we get into the three references, before we get into the three references, please tell me how you're approaching the scripture. Forget those three references. Do you, do you have to understand what the command is before you will agree to obey it? That's the question there. It has nothing to do. And then you read the text, but then you have to understand the text. Yes, yeah, the question is a little fuzzy. Yeah, because yeah, that's I, where do I'm you saying. mean you don't that you need to understand why? why? And of course, the answer is no. no. You don't need a why. Okay, so the understand here was the why I was talking about, not the how. God bless you, because we're going there. All right. So, do you have to know why God said that you should or should not do something? No. You just do it. Why? Which is why, which is why the children of Israel, you know, I mean, of all the issues they had, the biggest one of which we read about last week's portion, you know, the one thing they did standing at the foot of the mountain was when God came down and gave the ten words and freaked them out, and they said, "Whoa, we can't do that again." They, what did they say? They said, "Whatever He tells you to do, we we'll do it. it. We yes, will obey." Amen. But you go find out what He wants us to do, and then we'll do it. Yeah. So they had no idea, you know, what what the requirement was going to be. Exactly right. Be that as it may, I agree that they don't have to have a complete understanding when God tells you to do something. There, God does say Shema Israel, which is here, understand and, and obey, and do are the three connotations. If you look it up in a dictionary, you can get those three. Understanding again, even when it comes to uh, the, the sacrifices. I mean, if if, if you're raising a child. There's a, there's a certain point where you expect them to understand why, and it's not towards the beginning. I would, I would argue that with you 
until I lose breath in my body. That it's not that they need or we need to understand why, but what. The four questions we're about to go through in the Passover is not that scenario, right? What is this that God's making you do? And we give an explanation of what God did. Right? And we, how much they can understand determines how much we give them. But I would submit that that word Shema has to do with understanding what, not how or why. Because the whole why thing comes in with that Greek mindset. I've got to understand exactly why I'm supposed to do this or I'm not going to do it. Wait till you're my age and you have to teach a kid to drive. Stop at the stop sign. Why? Are you nuts? Stop at the stop sign. The why is irrelevant. Right. Well, we get the why. Right. The why is saying that. I mean, the, you're right. That Greek mindset of I have to understand before any action is wrong, but that's putting the, the horse in front of the cart. There is, I think, and, and I think the scripture would, would back this up, that understanding and teaching and motivation behind commandments is a healthy and one thing that I should look for in, in, in your relationship with I don't question that at all. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad. Hear and obey, I think, are the primary points of Shema. But if you want to put in understand, understand what? Adonai is... He is our God and He is one. That's a what command, right? The how and the why are are all pointless unless you get the who. So, that, that whole question and that whole statement presumes that we understand the who. Because if we don't understand the who, then the, the how, what, and why is all just, you know, you know for lasting people's name. It's exactly right. Exactly right. Alright, it's a good argument. i got to move fast or I'm not going to finish. Who knows what bikurim means? Open your Bibles. Exodus 23.19 and Exodus 34.26 are absolutely identical. Someone read me either one. They are absolutely word for word identical. What's it say? The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You got uh, the other one? 3426? That was 3426. Who's got 2319? Go. You shall bring the choice fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. These two are absolutely in the Hebrew identical. These guys are reading out of different English versions. They're identical. And it basically is the best of the first fruits of the ground. Bring it into the house of Adonai Elohe, the Lord your God. Lo tuvashel gedi im chalev. You shall not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Some of your versions say young goat. It ain't a young goat. That word gedi is translated as goat every time in the Bible except these three. Amazing but true. Now that's amazing to me that first fruits, and then we get into this boiling deal. It seems like it seems like I don't get it. 
It seems like a non sequitur. It seems like I'm going from the first fruits of the ground to what I'm supposed to do with the meat. So what's up with that? That's two times that command shows up. And then a third one, of course, is in Deuteronomy 14. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. We talked about that. If you're going to eat meat, it's going to be killed. You're going to kill and eat. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns, that he may eat it or may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to, look at that. The last two words are the same as the other one. Adonai Elohei, lo tevashel gadi in chalev. You shall not boil a goat in its mother's milk. Now I will tell you personally that every time I've read these three verses, prior to now it turns out to be a little over a year, year and a half, I said in my heart, I don't get it. Till I get it, I'm not doing it. How can I do it if I don't get it? And I can tell you that it bothers me that I've got three commands that I'm just blowing off. I don't get it. I'm not doing it. Sounds pretty rebellious if you just look at it like that. So there's, uh, there's where we're at. Your, uh, your mileage may vary when we're done. Who boils meat? I've been to one of those, uh, what do you got with the pot with the oil and the, you know, what do you call that? The melting pot. What, what's that called? Fondue. Fondue, right? So you put the meat on the end of the skewer, stick it in there, it does the bubbling thing, comes out brown. Hey, we're eating this bad boy. Of course, they got the other pot with the chocolate, the strawberries, and that's, I think, a nicer one. But if you are separating, you got to do that pot before you do this pot. Oh, sorry, yeah. All right. So you can't do the first pot? It's not meat and cheese, it's strawberries and cheese. It's fruit and, and I mean, it's fruit and uh, cheese and chocolate and cheese. Yeah, uh, anyway, anyway. So, boiling meat, other than fondue, seems to me to be an anomaly. In fact, have you heard about these people that actually take turkeys and deep fry them? For Thanksgiving, it was the red, you know you got to buy one of these things with all the oil and everything, and oh, some yeah. guy burns off his his eyebrows and everything. We're deep fry the turkey, yeah, right. So, well, you know what? It turns out I've got a couple of references for you from the Word of God. Exodus 12, verse 9, and Deuteronomy 16, verse 7 says, don't boil the Pesach, by the way. I know you're boiling your Pesach meat all the time. But don't boil the Pesach, the Passover lamb. I want you to roast it. What does that imply? These guys boil their meat. Okay, I can work with that. Exodus 29, and verse 11, take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh. That's surprising to me. I guess, I guess they boiled a lot of meat. All right? Leviticus 8.31, boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 1 Kings 19, Elisha, sacrifice. Remember, Eliyahu comes walking by, stops, looks at Elisha, and he says, follow me. Keeps walking. Elisha says, I, well, you know, I got to... Eliyahu's walking away. What's he do? He's got this huge oxen thing. He's plowing, right? Kills the oxen, boils their flesh, feeds it to the people, hops on the Eliyahu bus for the next couple of years, looking for a uh, flying cape. 2 Kings 4, Elisha has his servant boil stew for the sons of the prophets. This is all the same word. 
2 Kings 6, 29. You know that one. That's the ugly one. It's got the famine. The city is uh, surrounded. And the woman boils her son and eats him. I hate it when that happens. And finally, 2 Chronicles 35, 13. They roasted the Passover lamb and the holy offerings. That word for roasted is the same word for boil. In fact, the word we're looking at is bashal. It's the Hebrew word for boil. But it's translated as bake, boil, cook, ripen, roast, and seethe. Any one of these English words can work in those three verses we just read. It doesn't matter whether you boil a kid in its mother's milk, or you seethe the, the, the goat in the mother's milk, or you cook him in the mother's milk. It's all a cooking scenario. Sir? Did we just see a verse that said, don't boil oil and roast it? That was for the Pesach. He said specifically, don't boil the Pesach, roast it. But then obviously, well not. To me, doesn't that... Is it like, don't cook it, cook it? No, no, no. The word roast here is not bashal. It's boil. In this one, they roasted, it's bashal. Go figure. You know? All I'm trying to point out is that bashal can mean any one of those words. It basically, in our vernacular, is cook. How do you cook? Oh, today we're doing that uh, drop the turkey in the oil deal. Oh, we're roasting the turkey. Oh, we got him on the spit. It doesn't matter. It's a cooking term. Can I interject something? Yeah. On this word bashal, because I did a Mm-hmm. For this very uh, very reason, uh, our family decided uh, as our halakha not to heat anything. Not to what? Not to heat anything. Heat anything. To apply the action of heat to something is cooking. Yeah. So we decided as a family that that, that was... The halakha uh, for the Orthodox is that you not change the state of the food. So if it's already cooked spaghetti, you can heat the spaghetti because it's still cooked spaghetti. But if you take a raw egg and you add heat and it becomes now a cooked egg, you blew it. Because you've cooked. You didn't just, you change the state of it, right? So, so reheating is not changing it. Well, it's, 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 it's according to the halakha. So the bottom line comes down to life and death, guys, in this uh, particular um, sentence and these three things. Um, milk. Consistent reference in the scriptures to life, sustenance, and growth. And, of course, meat. You're eating meat. There's no two ways about it. We already saw. For you to be eating kosher, fit food, you had to kill it. You can't just die on its own. You can't find it in the mailbox. you got to kill it. An animal had to die. There was a taking of life. It is a picture of death. The two are absolutely as opposite as you can possibly get. So... That's, that's the bottom line there. Now, what are we going to do with that? Uh, that's next week. That's his overview and as broad brush as I can get on the whole kosher deal. My desire walking out of here is that you would remember that number that we talked about, and I'll bring it up next week. And uh, we'll see if your mileage varies at the end of the, uh, at the end of the next class we do on this. I would hope that you would set yourself apart with God and be sanctified not only by whose company you keep and what actions you do that don't involve eating, but you you would also see that separation that He wants to set you apart by what you eat and what you choose not to eat. I would hope that you would walk out of here and you would second guess, when I eat pork, 
I'm bringing shame to the gospel. That's what I want you to think about. Is it true that my God said, swine is an abomination to me? It is true. Is it true that he told you, don't eat that, my people don't eat that? It is true. But my concern for you, Chris, is that you would not give up the moral high ground. Because you're out there in the marketplace of ideas. And there are those in our world today that would say that homosexuality is okay. It's an acceptable lifestyle. In fact, it may be that God created them as homosexuals. Your very kosher stance with food allows you to maintain the moral high ground. Because when the homosexual says, you know, God said that homosexuality was an abomination to him. He also said that about pork. Chris, I see that you eat pork, so obviously you realize that that was then, and this is now. You've got no argument. He's got you. So if you think that homosexuality is a sin, then he said the same thing about swine's flesh, and we really need to be able to live above that fray. We give it up if we start to hedge our bet on which commands are okay and which commands apply and which commands don't. You can't do it. There's no way that you can draw that line. It's either all applicable to my life today and brings Him glory, setting me apart from everybody else, or it's a free-for-all and every man can do what's right in his own eyes. And we've seen how that movie ends. It doesn't work real well. Quick questions before we take a break. Good overview. Next week, we dig. Let's take a break.